Greetings, I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. Welcome. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now, if we choose to. In the Bible, in the New Testament, in what is listed as being the 13th verse of the 15th chapter of the Gospel according to St. John the Divine, John the Apostle, the Lord Jesus Christ said, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And we have a number of instances of that in just the week that has passed. At University of North Carolina, Charlotte, the main campus, A 21-year-old man died in his classroom, anthropology class. He died charging and tackling the murderer who was intent on slaughtering everyone there and in other rooms, in other parts of that building, at that campus. Riley Howell, 21 years of age, very handsome, big, strong young man, had everything in the world to live for. But he gave his life so that others might live. Now, of course, he didn't know with absolute certainty necessarily that he was going to die. He overpowered the murderer even as he was mortally wounded. But this gained enough time for the first police officer into the classroom to capture and arrest the murderer, who happened to have a lot of ammunition and was intent on murdering many there at the Kennedy Building. His sacrifice, Riley Howell's sacrifice, saved many lives. Meanwhile, in Southern California, San Diego community of Poway, a 60-year-old woman who had supported this Jewish synagogue for 35 years, who had been close friends with the rabbi since the founding of it. She gave her life, not by tackling the murderer who attacked there, but leaping in front of the synagogue's founding rabbi. He stated that he had just shaken hands with her, taken a couple steps, and then he heard the gunfire behind him. It happened that quickly 
she jumped in front of the rabbi whose back was to the shooter. And she took bullets intended for him. And this sacrifice enabled others to rush the shooter, yelling at him, screaming at him, shocking him. There was a malfunction of his weapon that he was using, and he, in fear, dropped his firearm and fled from the scene. Lori Gilbert K., 60 years of age, described as being a loyal friend, a founding member, a steadfast member, supporter, philanthropist, and a kind soul. And right at the inception of this congregation, she helped secure the construction loan that made it possible for this congregation to have this facility. A 51-year-old man who rushed the murderer Oscar Stewart risked his life to stop the shooter, and he saved lives in the process. These kinds of incidents, these terrible murderous attacks that happen around the world, some would have us believe it's only in the United States of America, There are monstrous, murderous attacks other places, many of those places with less frequency, places such as Norway, Japan, and so forth. Other places where they happen with a considerable amount of frequency, such as in Mexico and Africa, and, of course, Central Asia and Middle East and so forth. But what is necessary in these instances in order to minimize the amount of bloodshed is for actions, self-sacrificing, courageous, loving actions like this to be taken. Otherwise... They can be slaughtered like so many fish in a barrel or what have you. But fortunately, in these two instances, there were people that were willing in a moment of time, in a blink of time, a blink of an eye, to make the decision to lay down their life for their friends and or to fight with all of their might 
to stop the destroyers. Interestingly enough about Riley Howe, I was surprised to see that he just happened to be in the Reserve Officer Training Corps at UNC Charlotte. And yet, ironically, the really extraordinary thing about it is that he was taught in ROTC training, he was taught to do exactly the opposite of what he did. <laughs> How impressive. Our military is just so impressive. It just, you know, it takes your breath away. The brilliance of it, the inspiration, outstanding. He was not pursuing a career as a military officer. But nonetheless, he was enrolled as a second semester ROTC student. And the man in charge, Lieutenant Colonel, stated that he would have been taught in ROTC to seek cover if confronted by a gunman rather than fight. Isn't that wonderful? But he went on to say, but I just believe it's inherent in those who take the class based off of their backgrounds and their upbringing that someone would actually sacrifice themselves for others. Interesting. Again, the ROTC training is to flee. You all run. You all get out. You all flee. Nobody fights. Nobody resists. Nobody stands and fights. Nobody. Not the biggest and strongest and most powerful and most athletic. Nobody. You run for your lives. All of you. But Riley Howe did otherwise. Directly contrary to the training, the wonderful training that this nation gives as military training on college campuses, (laughs) that they do address active shooter situations, but the training is to flee, is to run. Everybody run, like so many blind mice. But he did otherwise, contrary to this counterproductive training, based on what? Nature and nurture is what this used to be referred to. Namely, what you are inside, some would say your genetics, your mind, your spirit, your soul, and what you've been exposed to and trained and so forth. Here he was trained to do exactly the wrong thing. This is so reminiscent of 9-11. The September 11th, 2001 terrorist attacks, Islamist terrorist attacks. Do you remember? Again, the flight crews the flight attendants, and the pilots, so forth. They had all been taught, carefully taught, 
to do only the following, to comply with the demands of hijackers, to go along with what they demanded, not to resist, not to oppose them. It really worked well, didn't it? One flight attendant, I'm guessing, didn't respond exactly that way, and she died from her throat being slashed. But most of them just went along, cowered and went along. Understandably so, except again, these hijackers did not have firearms. They were not big, powerful men. But they were united. They were trained. They were vicious, violent, aggressive, and they were united. But still, you had, of course, very narrow passageways there on the plains. And you have the flight attendants' carts that weigh something like 250 pounds or more. You know, and there are other things that could have been used against them. But again, all of the training trained them to do exactly what would cause their destruction. Fabulous. And here we are, 2019, 18 years later, and the military training through the Reserve Officer Training Corps at major college campuses like University of North Carolina are to flee, you just flee, you just run, you just (laughs) turn tail and run. Oh, that will work. That's the best thing to do. Well, it's not what Riley Howell did. It's not what Lori Gilbert Kay did. Yes, she may have been able to save herself. But the rabbi whom she had known and loved for 35 years or more, Yisrael Goldstein. And I'm sure it's pronounced other than that. It's, it's Israel, but it's a different spelling. But he survived. She was the only one that died. Oscar Stewart may have died. He risked his life, but did not lose it. But the brave new United States of America, it says something about the state of our military, that that is the training. ROTC cadets will receive for active shooter situations, so forth. Meanwhile, moving on to a threat that is monumentally more horrific than the worst mass murder shooting. I'm speaking of the Russian regime of Vladimir Putin, not the Russian people. 
but the Russian regime of Vladimir Putin. And tomorrow I'll be talking about the Chinese regime of Xi Jinping. But today, focusing more on the Russian regime, and it'll probably spill over and I'll have to say something more about it tomorrow, I'm sure. But going back to... 2014, Vladimir Putin's Russian regime invaded Crimea. Oh, no, they didn't do that. That was just, you know, Russian separatist residents, citizens of Ukraine. That was all they're doing, right? It was just a civil war, (laughs) (laughs) That's what the official propaganda machines of the Russian regime have told us. And that's what the Western elite media have gone along with telling us, too. Yes, that's what it was. It was a civil war still going on. A civil war. That's all it was. Really? No. It was an unofficial invasion, not an insurgency, but an invasion from outside of the country, the same as was true with Adolf Hitler, the Nazis in Sudetenland, Czechoslovakia. But Yes, there were Germans in Sudetenland who lived there. It is, it is a parallel situation, which I have referred to a number of times. But Russia invaded, attacked, and they lined up their troops along the border and their armor and their artillery, and their missile launchers, and they brought in aircraft, and they shot down commercial airliners. Someone did. The Russians did. It's still a little bit up in the air, I believe. I don't believe it has been absolutely pinpointed which ones were the ones that did it, whether it was the Russians outside of Crimea, or if it was the Russians and their separatists inside of Crimea. But that wasn't the only war that was going on in Crimea and in Ukraine. There was massive, state-of-the-art cyber warfare. The Daily Signal which has given me permission to share from articles, had a feature story entitled Russia Field-Tested Hybrid Warfare in Ukraine. Why that cyber threat matters for us. This was put together by Nolan Peterson, 
who is their man in Ukraine, or he was at the time that he put this together, and his background is that of a combat veteran of Iraq and Afghanistan. But he is a foreign correspondent in Ukraine. And he has expertise, (laughs) but former special operations pilot. And this began in 2014 with a vengeance, this cyber warfare. Putin's Russian regime used Ukraine and has continued to, up to this day, as a testing ground for its hybrid warfare. As the chief technology officer and president of Vidder, which is a cybersecurity firm in California, as he said, quote, the threats Ukraine faces are harbingers of things to come for the United States and its other allies, end quote. Russia recruits psychiatrists, scientists, and neurologists who target individuals and create specific attacks to affect them from a social engineering standpoint using, of all things, social media. There's a whole factory in Russia doing this. A whole factory. When they say factory, they don't mean, oh, some little itty-bitty building. Maybe we've got 20 people in there. No, they mean a factory city. When the annexation of Crimea, the violent taking of Crimea, took place, Russia shut down the Internet to Ukraine. They isolated Ukraine from the rest of the world. And they used social media to influence people's behavior. Social engineering, that term has been around for a long time, but it's taken on a whole new (laughs) twist with this. It never used to include cyber warfare, but it has evolved, you could say. People are psychologically manipulated into performing actions or divulging confidential information. This is well before the last presidential go-round. True. Man is the weakest link in the chain of information technology, according to Mikhailo Vasyanovich, head of the Public Council for the Ministry of Information Policy, of Ukraine. It's so true. 
Russia targets influential individuals, including journalists and political analysts. They do not have state protection and so are especially vulnerable to intimidation and blackmailing. So what is this hybrid war that Russia has, you could say, masterminded? You can't say perfected because they are still developing it, continuing to fine-tune it, tweak it, and so forth. But this hybrid war from Putin's Russia from his military. It's all rooted in the Russian military. Now, they make use of the private sector, but it is absolutely founded in the Russian military, as is true in China. The Chinese military is the haven for their super hackers and so forth. But here... So Russia's hybrid war against Ukraine, it has included using social media to shape public opinion among an adversary's population. And unfortunately, the most recent evidence of the success of that is the election of the stooge puppet for an oligarch, Russian oligarch, who has been elected by a landslide ever so recently in Ukraine. It spells absolute ruin for Ukraine. But I digress. Using social media to share public, to shape public opinion, to shape it, to mold it, to influence it, And this, again, is among an adversary's population. But honestly, it's something that Russia, the regime of Putin, has been doing to the Russian people. It's why years and years ago, he toppled all of the media. He took over all of the media. He seized control of all of the organs of media. In addition to that... He has waged a campaign of assassination against every journalist that has stood up against him. And he's cut him down. Not he personally. He just gives the orders. But they exploit smartphones to spy on and wage psychological warfare against an adversary's military forces. That's right. You know, all of those people who have that insatiable appetite for using their smartphones, Russia manipulates them through those. I mentioned before about the Places in the world which have the highest per capita use of the Internet. And lo and behold, most of them were in Asia, as far as the absolute top tier ones. And 
What did they say but that the majority of the time these people were spending on the Internet, it was overwhelmingly on their smartphones and it was overwhelmingly on social media. Well, Russia has absolutely focused in on that, but not not today, not a month ago when I mentioned it on a program. Years ago. They've been doing it all this time. Yes, they use cyber attacks to undermine electoral process. Heaven knows they've been doing that in Russia for some time. (laughs) But they have done that in Ukraine devastatingly, especially with this most recent election. And they use pseudo-news, something that the President of the United States of America is so fond of referring to as fake news. They use pseudo-news to push their agenda, their propaganda, their indoctrination, in order to sow division within a targeted adversary's culture, to erode it, to undermine it. Yes, all of these have been being used by Putin's Russian regime in the United States of America against the United States of America since early 2014. But Ukraine is a perfect place to perfect these tactics. So this hybrid warfare scheme of Russia, it's not simply covert warfare. No, it is a combined attack using conventional military force with other means, including cyber attacks, propaganda, and they focus on causing chaos and confusion in the battlefield and back home, far from the front lines, far from the actual battlefields. Hybrid warfare is the Putin regime's version of the old Soviet military doctrine, which was called deep battle. And in deep battle, frontline combat operations were supported with other operations which were intent on spreading chaos and confusion deep within the enemy's country. Well, where did the Soviets get this from? How about Nazi Germany? Now, Hitler, as I've mentioned, Hitler copied Mussolini. And Mussolini, he had a mentor whom he copied. But Hitler took so much of his methodology... So many things from Mussolini, of all things. It's hard to imagine that, but it's true. And Joseph Stalin, he was only too willing to copy this and copy that and copy the other thing and use it 
for the success of the dear old Soviet Union. So, this program of influencing the enemy, (laughs) the enemy, us, right? These are referred to as influence operations that took place throughout the Soviet Union's reign of terror and was used, was focused on subverting the United States of America and our Western allies. So it is the same tactic as before, or if you prefer, the same family of tactics, but using new technology. And in order to use that new technology, then, of course, (laughs) that involves some additional tactics. But it is the same agenda, the same battle plan, but using new toys. Vitter, whom I mentioned before, this company in California, they have put together a team of experts to absolutely get at the core of this, to be able to combat it. And so they have offices in Kiev, Ukraine, in Washington, D.C., and in Silicon Valley. And as the Vitter Company states, what happens in Ukraine doesn't stay in Ukraine. Yes, that sounds a little bit like what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, only this is doesn't stay. So what happens in Ukraine doesn't stay in Ukraine. And I have a follow-up on that, which I will get to momentarily, or at least before I conclude. So what of this war that isn't taking place, you know, that Russia hasn't been waging? More than 13,000 Ukrainians have died as a result of Putin's war to take Crimea and to take Ukraine. He is not limiting it to Crimea, just as Hitler didn't limit his ambitions for Czechoslovakia to Sudetenland. He pretended that he was limiting it to that, but not so. How many people have been displaced? Oh, about Two million people displaced, homeless, families. 13,000, more than 13,000 dead Ukrainians killed because of this. This is not including uh, the people on the airliners that were shot down, courtesy of Vladimir Putin. But. Russian cyber attacks have hit Ukraine's 
power grid, water supply systems, the country's banking system, shutting down ATMs, its largest international airport, shutting it down, and subverting the electoral process. Now, I don't know if you watch movies, but one of the Die Hard series, Live Free or Die Hard, I believe it is, demonstrates this. Shutting down the electrical grid, the power grid, and many other things. Seizing the banking system, shutting it down, and robbing it. Hitting water supply systems. One of the Bond movies from way back, I think it was, if I had to guess, I'd say starring Roger Moore. I know I've started watching it a couple times, and I I can't get further than like five minutes into it (laughs) without giving up on it. But it is this, of taking over a water system, reservoir. These things have all been done to Ukraine. In December 2016... A cyber attack took took down one-fifth, 20% of Kiev's electrical grid. Just imagine that for New York City or Los Angeles or Chicago. 20% of the electrical grid knocked out. Kiev being the capital city, the foremost city, of Ukraine. So as Kiev goes, so goes Ukraine. But in the years since the initial attack back in 2014, there have been many, many, many cyber attacks using malware that have targeted Ukraine's government, attempting to steal classified information and to raise havoc with the entire infrastructure in Ukraine. And a great many of these have been thwarted. Not to say that they all have been. The main goal, the principal goal, the chief goal of Russia's information warfare, Russia's disinformation warfare, Russia's misinformation warfare, is to incite civil unrest throughout all of Ukraine and to undermine the government's credibility. And they were so successful in undermining the government's credibility that they just managed to get a clown installed as Ukraine's new president, who is a puppet for a Russian oligarch. But oh my. No, you might be thinking I'm making some allusion to Donald Trump here. I actually am not. (laughs) So I will just 
come out and say that in case that thought was rattling around. No, this is not a veiled reference to him. But some years ago, I was looking at getting antivirus software. And one brand that I kept seeing rave reviews for, and I'd seen it before and so forth, but that I saw these rave reviews and I was wondering, should I get that? And I was really put off by one thing about it, is that it was from Russia, based in Moscow, Kaspersky Lab, antivirus software. Well, guess what? (laughs) Kaspersky's antivirus software programs have been used as a Trojan horse for Russian intelligence agencies to steal classified information from the United States government. Did you ever see the movie starring Sandra Bullock entitled The Net? If you haven't, you need to see it. It is a terrific movie. And this is the storyline in the movie. Except absent Russia. Absent any superpower out there wanting to hurt the United States of America. Instead, it's focused on vicious, ruthless, capitalist entrepreneurs. But anyway, this is a storyline straight from the net from many years ago. The United States government invested heavily in Kaspersky's antivirus products for its departments, for its agencies, even though it's Russian, a Russian company based in Moscow, based where the Kremlin is, you know, in Moscow. And shockingly enough, Kaspersky has been used by Putin's regime to spy on the United States of America and to steal, not just attempt to steal, but to steal reams of classified information from the United States government. Oh, my. But, of course, that was completely unforeseeable. (laughs) So things got so bad in Ukraine, in Kiev and elsewhere in Ukraine, that many businesses shut down, turned off their digital tills, cash registers, and so forth, and they did everything, started doing everything manually because Russia was causing such terrible problems for them via technology. It's so wonderful to be so technologically dependent, isn't it? But Russian intelligence services modified Kaspersky's products so that they would clandestinely search computers all around the world for classified United States government documents and top-secret information. But our extremely astute government, which had all manner of American companies to choose from, they chose 
to use Kaspersky. It's just, it's precious, isn't it? I mean, it really is. So, again, speaking of smartphones, Russian military forces have been targeting the smartphones of NATO troops in order to gather intelligence. That's right. Not just in Ukraine, but throughout Europe, targeting the smartphones of NATO troops. How do they know their numbers? How do they know their identities? But they're able to do that. Meanwhile, back in Ukraine, or Ukraine, if you prefer, the Ukrainian soldiers in the eastern war zone, you know, Crimea and akin to Crimea, adjacent to Crimea, Crimea adjacent, they have long been advised, advised by their leaders, by their officers, not to turn on their smartphones while in the war zone. Why is that, do you suppose? Well, Russian forces have been keying in on the cell signals emitted from the Ukrainian soldiers' phones to target their artillery at them and slaughter them. If I were in Ukraine and I were in a high government position, say president, something like that, or in the military, I would insist that all soldiers be ordered not to take their smartphones anywhere near the battlefield. This is their personal smartphones, okay? But no, let's just advise them not to, and surely they will do the intelligent thing, right? Oh, my. Well... For years now, since 2014, Ukrainian soldiers have reported receiving death threats and demands for their surrender from their enemies over cell phone text messages. How do you like them apples? Tokyo Rose, death threats and demands for their surrender via text messages over their cell phones. (laughs) And, of course, they're probably having to pay for those text messages unless they have unlimited plans or something like that. I failed to mention it earlier, and I should have. I've been remiss, and now the time has passed me. So whatever's right and good and true in this program is thanks to God Almighty and His Holy Son, Jesus. Whatever's wrong, erring, lacking, ever so imperfect, is due to me. But Russia has focused on media, on journalism. And Ukraine has banned a great many Russian TV stations from broadcasting in Ukraine. And they have (laughs) sent Russian and other foreign journalists Packing, who've been spreading Russian propaganda. But 
One thing that was very hurtful to Ukraine is that Russia, right in the absolute earliest opening days of the war, they Russia destroyed the Ukrainian TV and radio broadcast network in the eastern part of Ukraine. Well, Ukraine has rebuilt that now. And so now Ukrainians are not limited to listening to and watching media from Russia. However, again, Russia has succeeded in getting their man elected president. (laughs) But... Finally, perhaps you have heard of NotPetya, perhaps not. And again, that that information, that story was from the Daily Signal. But NotPetya is the most devastating cyber attack in world history. It happened on June 27th, 2017. That's when it was initiated. That's when it began. Massive, incredible attack that resulted in more than $10 billion in costs to major corporations around the world. Ironically, it was intended for Ukraine. It was targeted at Ukraine. But in this brave new world in which we live, lo and behold, things, no matter how carefully targeted, may end up spreading exponentially. And so it did. It was an act of cyber warfare against Ukraine, but it wound up being an act of war against all manner of nations beyond Ukraine. It was intended to be absolutely destructive. It irreversibly encrypted computers' master boot records. That is, to prevent the computer systems from being able to boot up, from being able to to access any of their necessary files, their operating files, their operating system. But it was confirmed that Russia's military was responsible for launching this malicious code. Russia's military is the one that initiated this cyber warfare against, this particular cyber warfare attack against Ukraine, but which wound up resonating around the world, went round the world, and caused devastating harm to multitudinous nations, private companies, international companies, And the most, you know, tech-savvy of companies, the most sophisticated of companies were. They had operations completely wiped out. But, again, it's something that uh, it's kept under wraps to this day. 
but it was absolutely confirmed that it was Russia's military where this came from. This was confirmed last year, February of last year. But this is a taste of what's going on. I am going to have to share in the next program more concerning dear old Vladimir Putin, Uncle Vlad, and his attack of Ukraine and his ongoing program of warfare and destruction for free nations which were at one time enslaved under Soviet Union. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now if we choose to. Thank you. Thank you.